this song is Kingdom Now Has Come. Uh, Porter's Gate has a new album out um, called Justice Songs. And uh, all of them are just just really fabulous. So I, I look forward to us uh, learning a, uh, a bunch of these to sing together. But if you want to look up Porter's Gate, uh, Justice Songs... Uh, uh, go give all of those a listen I just feel like uh, especially now um, they just uh, I know really resonate and unlock some things for me think of this week I want to check in with all of you how you're doing Taking a deep breath. You know, I felt like Tuesday was this kind of huge exhale. And, um, I felt like I, I could sing this song, you know, on Tuesday. Um, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure, you know, it was interesting to, you know, I just felt <clears throat> kind of a rush of tears and an emotion when the judge read these verdicts out of just all of the anxiety and weight of kind of the reality of this situation in a, in a huge, bigger story. And um, the amount of resources and a full year of, you know, marching in the streets to try to make an obvious verdict of accountability happen like that the weight of that reality of how much it took and still the unknowing um, is really sobering. So there's like that and then there's this exhale and then there's just uh, some like tears of a relief and then there's then the constant news cycle of more violence and, and death. So here we are together this morning taking a deep breath. Oh, and Jesus, would your peace and life, would we experience it? And would you heal us and renew us? Would you put the places in our hearts and souls that have been dislodged and, and broken, that are wounded, would you um, mend them today? Would we see our times together as these healing spaces of fresh air and of fresh water where we can be rehydrated and nourished and equipped and set um, for the work you have in front of us and also experience a joyful communion at all times and all places. 
Amen. Let's see, I got here late and missed what this is about. Um, I'm, I'm not sure which information that question is. If it's about the song, it's Porter's Gate, and they have a new Justice album that you can look at. All right. Amen. I want to continue in our series, The Holy Rupture. And, uh, you know, two, two weeks ago on the rupturing of obedience, I brought you to, you know, probably a mantra of mine for the, you know, first half of my life of, I just want to do God's will. And I don't know if any of you else, any of you kind of grew up in a similar tradition in which that felt like a common prayer. I just want to do God's will. And, and there was almost this, this sense of like the denying yourself and taking up the cross of Christ meant um, kind of self-abdignation, um, a, a loss of self. Not even knowing who you are is just really my identity will be in, in uh, an identity of, of bond servant, of uh, identity of obedience. And that, that's kind of how it, it, it shaped me. And in that identity of obedience, I am just the one who follows the directions of God. And um, I, I wanted to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. So there is kind of a obey and then someday, obey and someday, um, you'll hear God say, these words later after you died and you were standing at the pearly gates and God said, well done, good and faithful servant. It would be like that was the life that was truly life. It about all, all worth it. Um, so some of the ways that influenced me and then seeing kind of a, a obedience almost as a worldview. Obedience is the way or the way I believed um, I would hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So I just want to do God's will. I'm just going to like, I want to follow the directions. Um, and doing that is, will result in well done, good and faithful servant. So that was, that was the, the equation or you, um, the rhyme is obey and it will be okay. And this worldview of obedience equals blessing and disobedience equals exile. So there's obedience equals blessing or disobedience equals punishment. And that punishment is exile, that like the separation of sin. And this was a, a, a religious worldview. Um, and it's, it's a simple worldview. And you can read, I mean, you can read the whole Bible in this kind of equation, um, but the Bible also provides these like ruptures to that understanding. Um, and even some of the ruptures that happen in, in kind of that simple religious system I, I grew up in, obedience, blessing, disobedience, exile. The, the you know, the, the paralyzing question was always knowing God's will for your life. Um, so even in the system, there is these moments where we realize, well, you don't have like a recipe for every day. 
Um, and how do you know God's will for your life? So uh, like youth retreats or youth conferences, um, college uh, seminars or workshops. I feel like the breakouts that always had the most people on were like, how do you know God's will for your life? Because we have this obey and it'll be okay. And I just want to do God's will. And I just want to follow the directions. But there, it feels like there's this big, vast void of things that don't have directions. And then how do you know if you're doing God's will or not? And you don't want to get it wrong because getting it wrong is exile and, and punishment, you know, so there's like these huge stakes. Um, I don't know if this movie was big for you growing up, but for me, it was huge. So if you recognize this film, you know, you can put it on the chat. If you can hear the theme song, dun 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 Chariots of Fire, Eric Little, this is the 1981 feature film, and, um, you know, the famous line is when this Olympic runner says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Nice job. Um, who, who wins? Oh, nice. Way to go, Sarah Morillant. Uh, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Now, what this line kind of like, I don't know, pinpricked um, this obedience, blessing, and then will of God kind of paralysis um, was like a mystical experience. Like somehow running for Eric Little pre presented this mystical encounter with God. And it was like in that rupture, there was a sense of when I run, I feel God's pleasure. It reminds me of the rupture in Mark of Jesus's baptism. He comes up, the heavens are ripped open, and he hears, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You know, uh, in you, you know, I, you, you give me pleasure. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Um, so it, it, it's like even there's these little kernels in this, like, very limited worldview that had these breakout moments. But still, it was almost just like, we'll let you run a little bit with this. But then Eric Little was, you know, the big thing was he didn't run on Sundays because he, you know, so there was this like obedience to God even thing. And so it, it there was like this ray of hope, but then it all got wrapped back up in the system. So I didn't know if I, if I went to my soccer game on on a Sunday, like, maybe I wouldn't be an Olympic medalist. <laughs> like, but maybe if, if, I, if I did give that up for God, then, like, more blessing would come, come later. So there is just a, a whole mass of, like, anxiety around these questions of obedience and um, doing God's, God's will. Um, so... With that frame, kind of like two weeks ago, rupturing obedience, and then rupturing exile, so that disobedience equals separation from God, and seeing this in the lens of basically this is how empire, this is the logic of empire, how empires keep things ordered, and how empires punish, 
is through exile and taking land and then taking you as slaves and then having that all as a justification of we are the good obedience obedient ones that's why we have the right um, to rule over you and just how warped that system gets especially then when it gets combined religiously and so we can keep a lot of the logic of empire in play even as we attribute those things to how god operates so these are these ruptures that I think are necessary for our maturing journey. Um, I introduced you to this maxim that was a part of the youth missions organization I was part of, and it was, you are not accountable for the consequences of obedience. You are only accountable for the consequences of your disobedience. And how in, in some ways, like a... Uh, in a way that can be this like relieving of responsibility, like I can find comfort in that. I just need to follow the rules and it'll be okay. Um, and I, I don't need to take responsibility if something bad happens from being obedient. Um, and this week, what I, I want us to do is, is start to track this rupturing out of obedience and, and deal with this question of authority. So we've got obedience, exile, and authority. And I think these three kind of form this triumvirate of um, either really oppressive um, kind of uh, arrested development, or when these rupture, I feel like they can unleash um, the upside-down kingdom that Jesus was introducing us to. So... Notice this maxim with what Jesus says. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. And then in Matthew's gospel, he ends, thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. And, and just change this with by their consequences. What their life produces is how you recognize, and this goes on in John's gospel, recognize my disciples by the fruit of love. Does your life produce love of neighbor, love of God, love of enemies? Um, that's the good fruit that I'm looking for. So this I'm, I'm using as a critique of that little proverb that I was taught in, in some ways passed on to others in this obedience model. Obey and it'll be okay don't, and you're not responsible for um, anything bad that happens with obeying, but all bad things that happen from disobeying, that's on you. Um, you know, so this is like, no, you're actually accountable to perceive and discern the consequences of your actions. What is being produced by them? So here, uh, again, Dorothy Soli, kind of her main thing in critiquing as a German theologian, her German tradition and what obedience produced, um, which was basically a fascist society, of we must go beyond mere obedience, beyond simply following orders without considering the content, as if obedience could be contentless. What does the Lord require of you to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly? Which is Micah 6.8. Notice how this instruction requires discernment. 
It causes us to ask if our obedience is actually producing justice, if our actions are actually producing mercy, if our actions produce humility. We must consider the consequences, the fruit of our obedience, and take responsibility for it. So this is like the, the rupture critique of obedience because it produced um, the Eichmanns of the world, the ones who are just following orders and not considering the content of those orders. And we're really held um, from maturing in this just making obedience as the end goal. So it's considering the content and discerning the consequences and seeing obedience as what then produces love, justice, mercy, humility. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the story again. Um, this is Matthew's version. Uh, last week we looked at Mark's on the healing of the paralytic and again another rupturing of the ceiling and division. Um, and this is a story of an ending of exile, an ending even of that interpretation of um, your disabilities or punishment, right? And there's really two stories in Matthew's gospel back to back of this obedience, blessing, disobedience, exile, um, really unwrapping that and rupturing it. And just then, some people were carrying a paralyzed man lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... He then said to the paralytic, stand up, take your bed, and go to your home. And he stood up and went to his home. When the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to human beings. Now I'm going to pause, pause here. And... Uh, draw your attention to that last verse. So the way Matthew tells this story, what the crowd is struck by, and the crowd is often struck by Jesus teaching with authority, not like the authority of their scribes and leaders. So there's a, there's a difference of perception. Like this is an authority and it's different. It's a kind that we don't experience very often. But here... Notice Matthew doesn't say this was to prove that Jesus is God. And that, that tends to be a, like a post-Christian read of everything, like Jesus' miracles are to, to prove divinity. It's interesting uh, that Matthew points out they were filled with awe and glorified God who had given such authority to human beings so that's what feels like what this authority had been given to a human 
So it's like there's this noticing of authority and that it was being shared across a boundary from the divine to human boundary in a way that was really shocking. I'll pause uh, just to return to the movie. Kay says, God called me to be a missionary, but he also made me fast. <laughs> I, I love that. Um, speaking of McCarthy's, I, I know Dan has shared this story of, I think it was a guy, a friend that he went to college with who was an amazing gymnast. And uh, he came to Christ in one of the campus ministries at school and was kind of led to believe that the only really important work is evangelism. So he quit the gymnastic team and, um, you know, went to share his faith. Um, and I, I think it's, it's kind of built into this uh, whole, whole kind of obedience and blessing and what gets blessed and what's obeying kind of system. Um, so Dan kind of tells that story as, as, is like a rightful tragedy of how we sometimes miss how God actually wants to show up in our life and the the great joyous diversity of how God has made us and that the goal is human flourishing here on this planet not to get people to go somewhere else beautiful soundtrack it is. It, that movie brings back great, good, good memories for me because I, I think um, one of the ways that I can thank my tradition of like it brought me to this this point and those were some of those early seeds of oh there's something more going on than just a formula and following directions. So it's a great song. All right, continuing in Matthew, I'll read this verse again. When the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe and they glorified God who had given such authority to human beings. Jason asks, does this verse demonstrate that this authority is not Jesus's alone, but given to all humans? Awesome question. Let that question kind of be the needle that like uh, pops a balloon of our concepts of authority. I think is the invitation I want us to invite us to. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners." Um, I love both of these stories. Uh, I share them often because I feel like there's just a lot here to stir in us. Um, 
So again, consider this, this story as another rupturing of the exile. Um, if we show ourselves to be obedient, then God will see it and honor it and will end our exile and Roman oppression. The sinners and tax collectors are the people who are kind of keep us held back from really experiencing God's blessing. It's their fault. We still are in exile. And I think all of Jesus' ministry is just like, change your mind because there's no exile. God is here. The kingdom is near. Um, you can receive it and start fleshing it out right here and now. Um, so there's a, a rupturing of this understanding of what God is doing and what God is like. Um, and this last verse He's, he's quoting a prophet. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I just want to call this, this verse out again because it, it requires discernment. Go learn what this means. So it's not just the following directions. And you could use the Bible and say, well, it's requiring me to sacrifice by being obedient this group of people or... Uh, this way of, of being, or to remind us of Joseph last week, he felt like his tradition required him to divorce his, his uh, betrothed Mary. Um, and then there was an inbreaking of a different source of authority. All of a sudden, the vision of an angel, he obeyed that, um, which takes a level of discernment. And what in your life would you ever say, well, my tradition said this, but I had a vision, and so I'm going to do that. Like um, exploring these different ways of understanding how to move forward is going to be the next um, several vo uh, uh, sermons. There we go. I'll pause here. It's interesting that it calls out, given such authority to human beings, all state this the same way, to human beings or to men. Uh, and I did, I did look this up. In the Greek, it's anthropos, which is um, human beings. So it, it's not gender specific. Uh, so human beings is a better translation. But interesting that other translations like the message put the authority squarely on Jesus, that God had authorized Jesus to work among them this way. Almost like it can't be that God intends all humans to have that kind of authority. It must mean that God only gave that level of authority to Jesus. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for, thanks for being the uh, resident librarian this morning, uh, Jason. Appreciate that, that work. And to know... Um, you know, reading from different translations, I think is super helpful. And then to see how different people are reading it or interpreting it. And I'll just say, I think the rupture of authority is in considering that God gives us authority. I think we, we tend to want to distance there and consider ourselves as one under authority. And that's the safe space. Um, and I believe that's, that's what needs to get ruptured, that the under authority is actually not the safe space and actually can be used to cause harm, uh, quite often. So if we do not take 
got up on his invitation of sharing authority, um, we actually, maybe we could use the say, we're outside of God's will at that point. Uh, Trent says, the eschatological trajectory in the epistles is toward that diffusion of authority. I can't imagine what else becoming a co-heir with Christ would mean. Uh, great conversation and way to uh, put eschatological and trajectory together in one sentence. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I love this. I can't wait until we're like in the room having a conversation together. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. When the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe and they glorified God who had given such authority to human beings. And um, this is my command, love each other. Um, so to me, this is here are these, these thoughts and kind of wedding when, if we're in an obedience mindset, I think there's like this way out that Jesus is saying, all right, you need a command. My command is love each other. And love is the consequence or the fruit, which you've got to discern. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm sharing my authority for you to bring this kind of love and healing into the world, which is going to hang out with Matthew and not exile him. Um, which is going to say your disability is, it should not separate you from the rest of the community. It's not a sign from God of, of, of sin. But um, let's just make it a declaration preemptively. Our sins are forgiven. Jesus didn't need to punish anyone. Or Jesus didn't even need to die on the cross to be able to announce the forgiveness of sins. Um, it's an undoing of a lot of just a pretty common religious worldview, which is an empire lens. So it's not even a religious worldview. It's the logic of empire that gets imposed. And it's very difficult for us to read life outside of that system. Even if you're on the bottom side, you can um, internalize that oppression and view um, your state as somehow a punishment from God. <laughs> if I'm the librarian this morning, Trent is the theologian. Awesome. Well, you, you both are theologians, so. And librarians. All right. I have four children. And my desire is for them to transcend obeying to becoming wise and discerning adults that can make life-giving decisions. That makes sense. I think that's like the job of good parents is to work yourself out of that job. Jesus might say something here like, David, even you get this as an imperfect parent, how much you're Abba in heaven. So if we view God as just wanting obedience to his authoritarian authority. Um, think of a parent who is like that. They're awful. <laughs> um, and I thought, you know, a, a lot of times in obedience religious spaces, parenting is seen as, are you able to get your kids to obey? Um, 
And if they're obedient and compliant, that's a sign that you're doing a great job. Um, when you might just be um, destroying their soul. So that's like some of the, like this dance. It's, um, it's anxiety producing to try to be a good parent because you're often like, there's not a manual for my kid. <laughs> you know, we need wisdom. And wisdom takes discernment, and um, that is, is an invitation to a connected source that can teach us. So I hear Jesus saying, oh, even if we get this as imperfect parents, how much our view of God in heaven is of unleashing us. Um, I want you to live the life that is truly life in the world. God's desire for us to be wise and discerning people who can produce love. I use this example a lot, but I would say, I might say that the beginning of my kids becoming wise is learning obedience. Like there's a, there are times that I think what's best for you is this. Right, But obedience is not the end. So I would make the link this way. The scriptures may say that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, but fear is not the end. The end is a love that casts out fear. Love is the goal and outcome of wisdom. The goal is a wisdom that produces love and a love that produces wisdom. Do you see this, this dance? And I think the obedience equals blessing, disobedience equals exile is a worldview of fear. Um, I'm afraid of getting punished, therefore I will obey. But I don't actually know how to get beyond just following the rules. Um, I'm paralyzed to uh, live and make wise, discerning choices. When obedience is the goal, it arrests development. It keeps people from being wise. Say, I long for my kids to grow in a wisdom that produces love and a love that produces wisdom. And for me, this is like helpful in considering like, what do I really want for my kids? And I don't think like happiness goes far enough. Um, Happiness is just what happens to them and their reaction to it, where it's like, I, w I want my kids to be able to grow in wisdom that produces love and they're able to like add to the love in, in the world um, is my, my hope and desire for them. And so if that's the end goal, then how do we begin parenting with that end in mind? Um, so I'd say this is a much more substantial and beautiful prayer than I want my kids to obey. Now, like when my kids were young and we had four and <laughs> you feel like you're drowning, <laughs> I get when there's a time where <laughs> it'd just be a lot easier if your kids obeyed. I just feel like that's all I want right now because I need to like survive. Um, but beyond kind of that overwhelmed sense, I think you can all say like, oh yeah, we want something beyond obedience. 
And if we want something beyond obedience, how much more God? Uh, do you see that my kids have a better chance of being okay in the world if they grow up with a vision of wisdom and love rather than a vision that ends with obedience? So I'm going to come back to this statement. You're not accountable for the consequences of obedience. You're only accountable for the consequences of your disobedience. Maybe maybe helpful in the same way that don't touch the stove, it's hot can be. See, like there might be a time like you don't need to get it. You just need to obey. There might be a, a time in a life where that makes sense. Um, but it's an appropriate directive for a toddler. Like that, that season is very short in which that actually is a wise thing to say. But it is incapable of ever creating a chef. So that, that's, that, this is like the, the shift for me in obedience is just following the directions never creates a chef who's able to create their own recipes. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this is like a pretty dramatic statement of Jesus, which is of a sharing of authority. I'm giving you the keys. You know, I, I think of, you know, three of my kids now have driver's license and there's like the time where you are now able to drive alone and I am giving you the keys to the car. <laughs> yeah. Like that is a, is a transfer of responsibility and authority. I will give you the keys, the kingdom of heaven. Like that's, that's just allow this verse to set in and just think of the keys to something. And what's bigger than heaven? Like that's the, the master office. The, 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 it's the um, code into the inner sanctum, you know. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So I think you, I see this development of Jesus' disciples of, of training to cook on the hot stove. Like Jesus does not, don't touch the stove, it's hot. There is a transferring of authority. I want you to do this stuff. Greater works you will do, and it's better if I leave and give you the keys. So Jesus is training us to cook on the hot stove, but even more than that, Jesus is giving us the keys to the whole kitchen. Like, I, I think that's the, the, what dramatically is happening here. It's like, you now own this. Like, it's, it's yours. 
um, run it. What you bound will be bound. What you loose will be loose. Who you forgive, you forgive. Who you don't forgive, won't be forgiven. And this is like this. And those kind of things are true. Like if you if you were in a religious community and some things were forgiven and some things weren't, that's like what it felt like in that kitchen. You were shamed. You were exiled. You were, or you were included. And those decisions kind of felt like they were being endorsed from heaven. Regarding obedience, this week I've been thinking of policing versus the military. In the military, soldiers are trained to obey without questions. In policing, we attract ex-military and soldier wannabes. We may even train us train using military training techniques. Do we want our police officers with this training? This seems wrong to me. Um, thank you, Pat. Um, I, I mean, it, it exposes a lot, doesn't it? And I, I would say what we have so much in our own society is the logic of empire and reading things through that lens. And um, so what the authorities have is they want obedience. And if they don't get unquestioned obedience, they ha they've been given kind of impunity to be judge and executioner of someone. You didn't follow my directions. Uh, you didn't obey right away. Um, do what I say. And um, I have the right to make you not exist anymore. So you, you see what is wanted is compliance rather than what is desired as human flourishing and safety. And um, um, so there really is a sense when you kind of take back the veil that what we have is the serving and protecting of authoritarianism. Uh, we're serving and protecting the need for the state to make people obey. Um, and those consequences always bring death. So the logic of empire is deals in death. The master is the fear of death. Um, and I think whenever you see that in play, you're seeing something opposite of the kingdom of God, uh, something opposite of what Jesus is bringing. So I think that's even some of trying to bring the critique is to say, actually, there's a, there's a freer, better, liberating way of life. And if we order ourselves like according to um, this new sense of authority, it really could be better for everyone. Uh, thank you, Pat, for sharing that, that observation. Uh, Kevin said, I agree with your thinking, Pat. I've been having similar thoughts lately. You know, just consider obedience, exile, and authority um, in the logic of empire and how that expresses itself. And then think about obedience exile and authority as being ruptured in the kingdom of Jesus and what is the the a different way of of moving out of that that system have been helpful um conversation partners for me in thinking about what's what's going on um you know, there, there's even conversations with the Minnetonka Police Department 
where and I'm like I'm really concerned about their participation in Brooklyn Center and what's been happening there. And you know, one of the officers who I know, I think, and there was a community gathering last Tuesday evening to have a, this conversation. It was kind of defensive about, well, are we supposed to not protect ourselves? And there's like just an unawareness of this differentiation in power. So you're behind two levels of fences with riot gear on um, and you consider a water, a bottle of water being thrown over the fence as being attacked and justification to shoot at random rubber bullets, less lethal uh, munitions and tear gassing the crowd and then like forcefully arresting people, you know. So all of this is to show to fear authority and to be compliant. That is the goal. Um, and it does not produce life. So it's, it's good for us to challenge these things. Um, here's just a few verses on authority. Jesus called mm-hmm. his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and thickness, sickness. Now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. Um, John's great commission is Jesus breathed on them the Holy Spirit and said, I'm sending you just as the Father sent me. So there's this, this sharing of authority. Jesus is entrusting us with the d- divine authority. And to remember John's progression in his gospel unveils the movement from faithful servant to faithful friend to shared union. It's this maturing journey into the very inner life of God. So it's not, we're not under authority. We're not over the authority, but authority with is the invitational posture. Invitation authority with divine life. Um, that's what God wants. Just think about that. And how does that, does that make you uneasy inside? Does, is that liberative? Are you uncomfortable? Um, I think this was the, the rupture with me is like very uncomfortable to really go there with what even the scriptures were giving testimony to. That we are invited into divine life that we have been given. See, if I say it this way, this is where you might feel the wall. We have been given divine authority. Um, And I I think there's good things to be uncomfortable with that statement, right? Because it shouldn't be entrusted with with someone who's not... um, whose ego hasn't matured and died, right? Uh, Because there's all kinds of harmful ways that you can put authority into the world. But that's already true. Authority is, we have authority. And we can use it to mend life or destroy it. And I, I think taking God up on what God actually wants in sharing authority is the best way 
to move to move forward. Okay, so what do I want to do in in closing? Is I'm gonna I'm gonna read a famous parable and um, see if you can see this as Jesus saying God's kingdom is about the sharing of divine authority. God's kingdom isn't one of fear that just wants you to stay obedient. It's not, it's not a kingdom of fear, obey and it'll be okay. Quite the contrary, the kingdom is about the sharing of divine authority and what pleases God is you actually trusting that and moving out into the world with it. So this parable from Matthew to close, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, again, and it is the kingdom, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Twenty gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, this was a rupture for me because I always heard well done, good and faithful servant within the obey and it will be okay. You are under authority. Keep your head down, follow the directions. And that's what will make God happy. And to then actually see these words and this is where they're spoken, is in this parable, started to unlock that what makes this master happy is when the servant actually believed he was entrusted with all that wealth to do something with it. You went out and you did something with it. Well done. You actually believe that's what I wanted you to do, to share in the authority, to go create, to use the authority that I entrusted to you and do something with it. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So again, now the next part, you know, is fear and punishment, right? And often in Jesus's judgment, 
parables, there is a shifting on who gets punished than what you think. So think it's not Matthew, the tax collector. Um, it's the religious leaders that get the harsh words. So here in this case, the one who claims, well, I'm doing this under the authority of the Bible and I'm the one who's being obedient and you're not. You are going off on your own, making your own decisions. I'm one under the authority of the Bible, so what I'm doing is good, even if it produces harm. I think to that person, Jesus has really strong words. So here, the final servant. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. I didn't use your authority. No, I kept it safe in the ground because if I kept it safe, I'll be okay. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned it, I would have had received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and thrown and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there, there's a lot in that. And I feel like there's always good things to wrestle with in the disruptive words of Jesus as well as the inclusive ones. Uh, but for, uh, to me, this was a reworking of authority and what is actually pleasing. I want you to take me up on it. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. Take me up on it. I am giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Take them. Take responsibility for them. Take responsibility for when you mess it up and when you produce life. Interrogate the consequences. You know, did that produce love? Did that produce justice? Did that produce mercy? If not, change course. Take responsibility for what you've been given. I'm inviting you into divine authority. All right, I want you to breathe, and this will be the closing meditation poem called Audacious by Steve Garnass Holmes. I pray this week, kind of this lens of empire that that continues to be unveiled, how obedience and fear, exile and punishment work together with a kind of authoritarian power over others. Consider that Jesus ruptures those categories, wants you to go beyond obedience wants you to be a person who ends that, that thinking of punishment and exile and be as a person of peace and reconciliation. 
and then as a person who actually takes the keys of the kingdom, who takes responsibility and enjoys the invitation to participate in divine life and authority. Okay. Audacious. And read these two passages. Matthew 21, 23. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Exodus 17, 5 through 6. The people thirsted for water. So the Lord said to Moses, Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. The power of God for life flows in us. An unpluggable spring. It asks no permission, follows no rules, knows no bounds. It's free. It makes the flower blossom. The child survive. The artist reveal things. The healer do miracles. It gives you power to love, to dare, to forgive. It makes you shine with God. People will ask you who you think you are to do such things. Never mind them. People will assume you're nuts walking up to the rock with your stick like that. They think you have to know something about how to strike the rock, but you don't. The harder thing is not going up against those stone-hearted ones who disbelieve. It's taking the stick to the rocks of your own life, the places you thought were dry and hard. Inside the rock, I swear, water springs. Amen.